Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom with Ben Bobo, a well-known entrepreneur and trailblazer who has led startup organizations for more than 15 years. Beyond the Boardroom is the only streaming video show in Orange County that interviews thought leaders from all different industries and cultures about life lessons they wish they'd learned earlier in life. Covering topics that weave together the fabric of life and career, bringing you recipes for success, shared pearls of wisdom, and key life lessons for business and personal growth. Now here is your host, Ben Bobo. Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom. We're coming to you from beautiful Newport Beach, California. We have a very special guest today, Bill Carpoo, who's the CEO of Octane, who has a really important mission in Orange County to really energize the ecosystem economically with investors, with new technology startups. Bill, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Thanks, Ben. What a great day, huh? Oh man, you can't beat this, right? <laughs> what a great view. So, you know, um, Bill, as I've known you for a few years now, and I looked at your career progression, I think um, anybody in the audience would want to know, first off, how did everything get started from you from, from college to this point? How did you go from the progression of where you started to the CEO of a nonprofit Octane? Yeah, so, you know, I think like anything, it, it, be, it becomes a bit of a journey. So I graduated, I won't give you the exact date because I don't give my <laughs> age away, but in, in the late 70s from college, and uh, I was fortunate enough to join Xerox. And uh, so I was, a, I was a copier salesman initially and uh, spent 13 years there. But probably not a better organization to have started your career with if you wanted a career in professional sales. Uh, you know, a lot of process, a lot of discipline, um, setting ambitious goals, you know, and, and, and things of that nature. So, you know, I think coming out of college, that was a great, uh, that was a great first step. And it, it, as I said, it lasted for 13 years. Wow. Uh, the, the next step in that was really to move to Icon Office Solutions, which was somewhat of the same industry, uh, and I spent 18 years uh, there. And you know that, that progressed from really just sales and sales management and general sales management, which I had had at Xerox, to um, you know a more a more global approach on things, and uh, you know look at a company that 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 was global, but more importantly, a variety of different positions inside of that. So touched operations, general management, uh, ended with doing M&A, which is when we sold actually the company to Rico, and mm -hmm. uh, I, I moved on from that standpoint. But so in that process, were there any hurdles, um, great organizations, great companies, were there any challenges that you came across that you kind of hit that wall, you had to develop a different strategy, or uh, what did that look like? <laughs> well, well. You know, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, I'm hired as a salesperson at Xerox, and the first thing I found out was I hated cold calling. So, uh, you know, that's, that's probably not a good recipe. But, uh, you know, I stuck with it. I had the intestinal fortitude to do that. I sought a lot of advice from people, and uh, you know, was able was able to get through that. And and those, you know, those initial, um, you know, I, you know, I guess queasiness in terms of being able to do that, and really just used a different approach. You know, so that's. You know, that's one area. So you came up with the answers, and I think what's really interesting what you said is you actually sought out people with experience that could guide you in that process. So is that how you started coming up with the answers of if you you know don't like cold calling, uh, how do you get around it? Or I'm sure there's a number of things in your career that you didn't love to do, you had to do as part of the function. So was it a matter of going to the right people and seeking advice, or was it just gestalt over time where you said, I have enough experience, I can sort of figure it out? Well, I think it's a little bit of a combination, but I have a tendency, and, and, and by the way, believe me, the cold calling wasn't the only hurdle I've had. There's, there's, been, there's been several. But I have a tendency to seek advice, uh, to ask people for input, 
And I think what, what helps me is I, I, I know people that probably don't, aren't going to give me the opinion that I'm looking for. And so as I seek advice, I seek advice, you know, on people that I know are, are like-minded, but those that may have a little bit of a more controversial view or, or a different view maybe than what I'm looking for. And I've always found that that's helped me. So when you think about the, the, the desire to not do cold calling, once you got over that barrier, what did you find is once you started doing the cold calling, what was your success hit rate? Was, you know, I called 10 people and four people would you know, show up positive as, as a customer? Or? Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't really, really recall what the specific metrics were at that point. But, I mean, if you look at it, it just, it, you were more comfortable. And, and, and I think that's, so then you enjoyed the job because the, you know, the, the initial part when you hated doing that is you just don't even like the job. And, and so, you know, I think, I think it's important as you progress through your career that at some point you've got to determine if, if um, what you're doing is if you like it and if you don't, You've, you've got to pivot. You've either got to learn to like it or you've got to pivot and do something different. And it sounds like learning to like it is all about creating or, or limiting as much of the uncertainty as possible by doing it well and getting the experience to get comfortable with the unknown at some level. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think again, you know, I mean, we're using one example, but it goes on to many others. And you're exactly right. It's, it's feeling comfortable with it then. It's seeking advice, it's learning, it's finding out how other people got past that specific hurdle that you have in front of you, whatever it is. And then you can make a determination if you just need to make a career shift or you know, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna be able to adapt to it. So you mentioned there were people in your life that you came across that gave you great advice. And part of Beyond the Boardroom is the people in our lives are influenced by a board of directors, both personal and professional, seen or unseen at some levels. So in your board of directors, if you will, who is that one or two people or persons that really had the biggest influence on you, whether it be personally or professionally? Yeah, so, the, you know, that's, that's easy for me. It's, it's actually two people. And the, 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 two, the two were both in my um, career at Icon. And it's somebody by the name of Bob Cother and somebody by the name of Peter Shoemaker. And, you know, it was interesting because they both, they both taught me different things. They both mentored me in different ways. And it wasn't official mentorship from that, from that perspective, but Bob taught me all about leadership. Uh, he inspired me. So he, he didn't take my hand and say, this is how you become a leader. It's just, he was a terrific leader. You wanted to follow him. And you just looked at it and said, wow, these are things that I really want to be able to do. And I was at a point in my career that I was starting to lead a relatively good sized organization. Peter is a financial mastermind. And, and you know, my background being more sales, as I stepped into Icon, I needed financial experience. I needed operational experience. It was a skill that I didn't have and I didn't know. And Peter taught me that. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be grateful for the two of them uh, throughout my career. You know, and then I think there's, there's other people that taught me what not to do. Right. So, you know, I don't need to mention those individuals, but just things that, things that people did to you right. or you saw how they acted and you said, wow, I never want to be that in my life. You know, that's a quality statement because I think a lot of us go through that. We have great bosses. We have not so great bosses. And that's probably where you learn the most. And those bosses that didn't handle in a quality way, that's probably where you, you get the biggest uh, lessons from a, a management standpoint. So as we transition, you're now the CEO of Octane. What compelled you to go from that business to a nonprofit uh, Octane OC um, and start to drive the initiatives there? Yeah, so what we, what we didn't cover was after Icon, I, I left and went to Blackstone. So I was an operating partner inside of private equity. And uh, I was doing a lot of traveling. I was running a, a company ultimately uh, in, in Detroit. 
uh, still still uh, with residents here, but but spending a good portion of time. And really, I you know I guess it was the two people that uh, you know that drew me into Octane were were both Jim Peterson and Jim Mazo, uh, you know who I knew fairly well, more socially, and. Even since being here, uh, since 1998, and Octane started in 2002, I didn't really know a whole lot about Octane. Uh, so they approached me, as did Matthew, the previous CEO, and said, hey, we're going to make a change. Matthew's leaving. He's, he's going to become the chief of staff. Uh, you know, would you want to join Octane? And I, I think really what drew me to it was the unlimited potential and the autonomy of leading an organization. Right, right. Uh, so I was just, I was really inspired and I was excited about that. And I was excited more about what we could become than really what it was. Because my, my initial reaction was nonprofit. I mean, I'm not sure I really want to work at a, at a nonprofit. And you know, I think many of the people that work today at Octane would tell you that's really just the tax status. I mean, we, right. we, we fundamentally operate with a sense of urgency that I, I think most businesses would in trying to drive results for the community here. It probably rivals a startup, the sense of urgency, I would imagine. It, it, yeah, it is. So, I mean, we're, we're very much like a, like a startup, like a mature startup, right, right. You, know, uh, you know, raising a Series A or something like that, you know. So since 2002, Octane has had a rich history, in my opinion, of being the connector of capital, strategics, and startups to drive a you know, vibrant business ecosystem in Orange County. Um, has it been hard maintaining this leadership position for Octane? N not really, but I think there was a point that maybe we lost our way a little bit. We became a little bit complacent. Uh, it, it's, it's no one's fault. I think it just, it just happens as, a, as, a, as an organization is kind of out there on their own, which Octane was for many years. And over the last couple of years, as you've seen incubators and the whole startup innovation ecosystem thrive here, you know, there's been a lot of other organizations that we work collaboratively with. So it required us to step up our game and be a little bit more intense and have a greater sense of urgency and deliver a greater ROI back to the community. But I don't think it's been difficult for us to really keep the leadership position. I think we've always been viewed that. Exactly. So since 2002, you sort of initiated this whole ecosystem concept. And it seems to me you have a lot of people seeing the success of your business model and wanting to duplicate or and it's certainly complimentary, right? Correct. But they want to duplicate and sort of uh, enjoy some of that success. So. How do you think about the competition? Well, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because I think I think what happens is we we fit in a very specific area of the ecosystem. So we don't want to be an early stage incubator, uh, and nor do we have the skill to be. So I think the way we view it is no one organization can fill the gap of taking a company from uh, ideation all the way through to a, a, a liquidity event at some point. So we've elected to participate in a little bit of a, a later stage and a growth stage on that and work as collaborative, collaboratively as we can with the, uh, with the ecosystem. There, so on paper, there shouldn't be competition. What there's competition for is for the funding because there's just a limited amount of that. So you have a variety of nonprofits that are all going to the same donor base. And that's, that's where it gets a little bit competitive. Right now, sure. So what would you say are the foundations for success that are keys to impact the med tech, uh, tech ecosystem in Orange County? I know you showed me at one point a slide of yeah. uh, what you call a four cornerstone slide. Could you walk us through that? Yeah, so you know, we, 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 we talk about this repeatedly. We've got, we've got four cornerstones inside of Octane. The first is Octane Connect. And uh, it's really, think of it as content, thought leadership, and it's where we have our major conferences each year. The second is Octane Launchpad, and it's our accelerator. So we run about 40 companies through a year. 
86 uh, percent of which get funded. In aggregate since 2000, they've been funded over $2 billion, and we've had almost a billion dollars in liquidity events. The third uh, cornerstone is Octane Capital, and it's our relationships with the venture community, family offices, and recently private investors. So we've just brought on board a director of capital markets. And the fourth, still a relatively new component and platform for us, is a growth. It's uh, growth services, and that's being led by an, by an individual that joined us a little bit over a year ago. And the intention there is once we get these companies funded uh, in that early stage is to help them accelerate growth, get up the revenue curve, uh, and, and just make a contribution to job growth that much faster. Okay. So given these cornerstones, and that sounds very expansive, um, how do you measure success? You mentioned that um, you've had some liquidity events, and that's that's a big way to you know to measure it. But um, are there specific things you track for those cornerstones that you say you know these one or two or three things give us an indication that these programs are really being effective? Yeah, you know, so so I think like you were saying, Ben, qu the quality of our conferences, the amount of attendees we've got, the creation of companies and the capital raised is one set of metrics. But the two that we're really focused on, and, and maybe it's really the one, is job creation right now. We have forecasted 22,000 new jobs by 2025. We can revise that to 55,000 by 2030 with a uh, expanded infrastructure, and that will build long-term sustainability. So if you look at our strategic plan, it's all about moving towards those 55,000 jobs in job creation and building a sustainable long-term organization. And that'd be huge and certainly great for Orange County. Uh, we're back after these messages. Serenitex is focused on eliminating the biggest challenge to migraine management namely the subjective diagnosis of migraines and standard migraine drug therapy that results in undesirable effects and unproven results. Healthcare and lost productivity costs from migraines is $78 billion a year, and employers lose 113 million lost workdays from migraines. But did you know that more than 95% of those with chronic migraines have never sought help, received a diagnosis, or been treated? Serenitex has discovered a patentable technology solution for the non-invasive detection and screening of migraines. We've tested our approach on actual migraine patients, and it works. To learn more, visit serenitex.com. Welcome back. Uh, you know, Bill, it's really interesting when you talk about your growth drivers and your success drivers. Um, I think a fundamental problem is if we're trying to be the next Bay Area, and we know in the Bay Area, the Bay Area has a very rich ecosystem with uh, the Capitol and Sand Hill Road, billions of dollars represented. You have the law infrastructure, you have the startup infrastructure, and more importantly, you have the talent infrastructure, right? Um, and you think about how you drive economic and job growth here, it's fundamentally relying upon capital. And I know we were talking earlier, and in another conversation another day, you said if you were trying to raise a billion dollars, you could raise $100 million in Orange County, but the other $900 million, you'd have to go elsewhere, Boston, New York, and that's a pretty um, profound implication. So here we're trying to energize the ecosystem. We're trying to attract people here, and the reality is if I have to go to New York to get the larger raise, it could mean I have to move my company. So how do you think about that from an Octane perspective? How do you energize capital and get people that are serious money players to take a serious look at Orange County? Yeah. You know, a couple of things in that. I mean, first of all, is that we need to build the best version of ourselves. So I don't think they, I don't think we're ever going to look and say we want to we want to beat out the Bay Area. I think that's probably a fool's errand. Uh, you know, just given the size and scope. But what we what we are doing is embracing obviously sources of capital in the Bay Area, but very importantly, New York and Boston. And uh, you know, very very time. Uh, 
time sensitive in this is I, ju I just returned from a trip to Boston with this exact thing in mind, which is we don't have enough capital that's that's or a headquartered here in Orange County for the amount of ideas that we've got. So outside of this area, we're viewed as an area that's got great innovation, that's got great company creation, and not a, and not enough capital. So it's it's somewhat easy to get to get uh, uh, VC firms from Boston, and I'll just use that as an example right now, to come in and place money here, especially ones that have invested in launchpad companies before, and they've had successful runs on that. Mm -hmm. The other thing which is kind of amazing is that in Boston, they've got way more capital than they've got ideas. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have innovation going on there. They've got great innovation. They've just got a lot of capital. So they're looking uh, for, for areas to put, uh, put, to put their capital at use. So they're looking at Canada, they're looking at Europe, and they're looking at Southern California. So I think the idea here is we can attract capital anywhere. And I'm, I'm comfortable, we've got the innovation going on here, which is more important. And so I'd rather have the innovation going on and go, have to go out and get the capital, because at the end of the day, the capital gets wired to somebody. It doesn't right. really matter. You know, I mean, it's all, the money's all green, it all gets wired, and, uh, you know, so if we've got the connections to go get it, then that's, you know, that's really what's important. So you got some pretty big, hairy, audacious goal for job creation, 20, 25,000 to 50,000 in Orange County, but you have a model, it seems to me, that if you're trying to connect capital with technology, startups, and strategics, that could be applied in other places. So um, how do you think about impacting the ecosystem outside of Orange County or outside of Southern California, looking at other areas in the country that are actually innovating, like Orange County? How do you take your model and really energize those ecosystems? You know, you're exactly right, and we've got to be a little bit careful not to get over the tips of our skis on this one. Um, but, you know, a year ago, we, we, we expanded in a, in a partnership with Lava and San Diego Venture Group the innovation network of Southern California. So I think right now we're really focused on, on elevating Southern California and, and there's a centricity to Orange County with that. At the same time, we're building bridges into New York, into Boston, into areas that are very like-minded with us and we can, we can trade back and forth ideas, uh, we can utilize uh, the strategics and utilize those those areas as, as hubs of capital. So, uh, you know, I, I don't view that as us opening up, uh, you know, an office somewhere. I, I don't I don't think that's in our I don't think that's in our uh, future necessarily. But we have been asked, can we can can a particular area replicate the launchpad the launchpad process? So that is something that does intrigue us and interest us to say at some point down the road could we take launchpad license it and drop it into a boston area but it would have to be completely managed by an organization there locally it, right. lo locally we you know and our ip is our data so then we could feed the data the analytics the predictive analytics and the forecasting of company success through that uh, but I, you know, I don't think at any point in time you'll ever see Octane opening an office outside of the Southern California area. Right, that makes sense. It makes sense. So let's transition a little bit. You know, you have such tremendous um, upper upper level management experience. Uh, a lot of uh, skills has been developed over time. Um, probably a lot of experiences through that journey. Um, so what can you share with the audience in terms of one or two pearls of uh, of uh, you know pearls of effectiveness or wisdom? Um, where if they took those one or two things and applied it to their personal life or professional life, uh, they'd be that much more effective. Think big. You know, I mean, you, your, your life in front of you, whether it's personal, professional, it's a blank canvas. It, it could be whatever you want. So I think that's, you know, that's first and foremost. Beyond that, communicate. 
be transparent. And you know, I think in an age of electronics, I mean, I just think back to the days that I started in my career, you used to have to pull off, off the side of the road, go to a phone booth, call in for your messages. I mean, everything is just so easy today with texting and email and that, that, that form of electronic communication. Keep it personal. Meet people face to face. Take meetings. Make phone calls. So think big. Communicate effectively. Boy, and that's like trying to defy gravity today, right? Because everybody's into texting and interpersonal yeah. communication. But you're right. I think it's going back old school where you really make those uh, interpersonal connections on a very transparent and very uh, uh, real way. And people appreciate it. Absolutely. It's more personal. All right. That's it from Beyond the Boardroom. Uh, wardrobe today was provided by John Barbados. Uh, I want to thank Siam for uh, hooking me up today. Um, and remember, you can find us on Beyond the Boardroom show on YouTube. Hit like and subscribe. And as always, uh, remember, becoming is better than being. When we founded Stradling in 1975, we made a commitment to helping our clients to succeed and create opportunities for business growth throughout California and beyond. Our people share cutting-edge focus in guiding the critical transactions and disputes of our clients. And we've developed a deep bench of contacts and resources to get the job done. As trusted advisors to technology, life science, software, and medical device companies, we've invested in building our expertise, developing the best of legal talent, and the readiness to serve the business community. From our commitment to our clients, to our deep involvement in the communities we serve, we understand our job is your success. This video was brought to you by 800 Cameraman, Southern California's only 20-time National Emmy Award-winning production company. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Boardroom. We look forward to bringing you more thought-provoking episodes again real soon and look forward to your feedback and remarks. If you have any particular topic or person you would like to have us cover or interview, please reach out to us at ben at beyondbobo.com. Till next time, may you continue to map your own path to success.